Welcome to another episode of One Door at a Time. Uh, I'm your host, David Heber. It's Concentric's podcast, uh, where we speak to the practitioners who impact our students every single day. Uh, I'm always excited to bring special guests on, particularly those who uh, uh, really roll up their sleeves and do the work from the ground up. Uh, as usual, I want to give a special shout out to our partner, our very valued partner, Atlas Restaurant Groups. Uh, they are national. Uh, with a huge presence. I think it's over 32 restaurants in the greater Baltimore area and county. I can never keep up with you. Atlas Group, congratulations on your new headquarters too. Uh, really look forward to uh, visiting. Um, and just I just want to thank you for your continued support, believing on the very uh, at the very ground floor uh, what we were trying to do with this podcast. I encourage everybody to go visit one of their many restaurants across the board. Today I have a very uh, two very special guests for this episode, uh, Mr. Bill Goodman, cluster lead, uh, cluster superintendent for North County, and Daryl Kennedy, cluster lead uh, for Mead County. Uh, although I've only known Bill for a short time, vibe very well. Um, he, he still has these hoop dreams that I know that he'll share. Uh, Daryl, I've known you for a decade. Uh, both of you have done a tremendous job. And I just really wanted you to share, and I'll start with you, Bill, about your journey, like how did you get to become a cluster lead, I mean, a cluster superintendent? Tell, tell me about that journey in education. Yeah, so it's been 25 years now. So I started as actually 27. I started as a sub uh -huh. um, and kind of fell in love with the profession right away. As a sub? As a substitute. Yeah. Wow. Biology degree and started teaching what ended up being a special ed ED classroom and it was the best. So I was hooked. Went back and got my cert and started teaching at high school level for a few years, uh, was pushed into administration is probably the nicest way to say it. Yes. And was assistant principal for three years and then a principal for 10. That's how I got to know this gentleman when he was at Mead High and I was at Mead Middle. And then I jumped over to HR for five years, which was a really cool experience to kind of mm. see the global organization side. And then I missed kids so much that I came back over and was a director for a few years for two different clusters and then was afforded the opportunity to be the regional for North County and Chesapeake the last three years. Wow. Wow. How about you? Yeah, I started uh, in Charlotte Mecklenburg Schools in okay. uh, 1995. So this is uh, this is my 29th year in education. Started teaching at an alternative school in, in Charlotte uh, for three years. And then I taught uh, four years at a comprehensive middle school okay. uh, before I became an assistant principal uh, at uh, Kennedy Middle School in Charlotte, North Carolina. Okay. Moved up to Maryland, became an assistant principal at Mead High School. Three years later, became principal at Mead High School wow. uh, for about six years. Uh, then I was a four the opportunity to supervise principals in Baltimore City okay. public schools, and and uh, I did that for five uh, years, and uh, then I moved on to uh, uh, Anne Arundel County, where I was afforded to uh, to my current job as regional assistant superintendent. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I live in the county, and, and was able to come back to a to a county that I was uh, was principal in. What are some of the early lessons that you learned that still stick with you today? Uh, as you went through your journey from teacher all the way up to principal supervisor? Uh, for me, kids come first. Uh, I, I vividly remember in the management school when I first started in education, uh, knowing that those students needed something extra. Um, and uh, I was in Charlotte. I had joined a fraternity, Alpha Phi Alpha fraternity. Yeah, yeah, it. shout out to the brothers <laughs> of 1906. <laughs> but when I was a teacher, uh, I was able to have some of the brothers from Alpha Phi Alpha and some oh. of the sisters from Alpha Kappa Alpha come back and mentor students. Okay. And that impact 
uh, you know, showed me the importance of not only education, but just the social emotional aspect of it. It wasn't called social emotional learning yeah. back then, yeah. but that's what it was, right? Mentoring students and letting them see, uh, you know, another side of education besides the academics. Uh, and it really, uh, you know, put something in me as far as just making sure that the whole child was, uh, was impacted. How about you, Bill? Because you, you shared that you started as a sub. Like, what are some of those early lessons that have stuck, uh, stuck with you today? So it's interesting. Looking back on all these years now, I was fortunate to have some really good leaders in my life. Uh, my parents are phenomenal people but never graduated high school, so that professional side was mm. a little new to me. Um, but I think Daryl's right. It was always kids first, and I got to see that firsthand when I was a high school teacher, uh, middle school administrator, and, you know, honestly, by chance, I happen to have really great mentors along the way. So I think those people that I kind of bonded to all these years were always about kids first, no matter what. So here's what's interesting. Uh, Karen Chenoweth has done a lot of work around, like, uh, you know, how it's being done, it's being done. And then, like, her, not her, not her most recent one, but two books ago, it was really about the principalship. Um, I haven't seen a school that is a phenomenal school without a, a great principal. Like, what is like the key, some of the key things, Bill, that you learned from being a principal? So that's interesting. And I, again, I go back to my last principalship where I, I got to meet Daryl at Mead Middle. And um, we had, I inherited a fairly good staff and I hired very well. And I think looking back <coughs> on it now, I allowed people the opportunity to grow. And I believed in them and I provided the resources that then allowed them to do great things. Um, I think today's principal is a little bit different than, than it was before. Um, but the reality of it is it's still about relationships and trust, taking the deposits for people because you're going to make the withdrawals later mm. and kind of working as a team. And I think it all really comes down to relationships. If you've got relationships, not just your teachers, but your parents and your, your students and really become that stakeholder community, mm -hmm. I think that's how you kind of move a school forward as a really solid principal. What do you think, Dad? Yeah, I, vision. You know, I, I think that being a good, successful principal starts with having a clear vision, uh, one that students and staff in the community can believe in and being able to execute that vision. So, you know, I, you know, I, I don't know a good school without a principal that has a clear vision uh, and one that like knows how to execute uh, the vision. Several episodes uh, ago, we had uh, I had the pleasure of having Dr. Sean Joseph, former superintendent in Nashville, and then obviously you know him from uh, from Prince George's County. Um, the question I asked him, I want to ask the both of you too, is what was the biggest what was the aha moment or something that was unexpected from being in the principalship to now supervising principals that kind of caught you off guard? What what, what would you say? Just one? Oh, no, seven, no, no, please, yeah. Because he, he, he blew me away because I, I asked him about what was it that what you thought a superintendent would be compared to what it actually was. And yeah. Yeah, well, I think coming up through the system like I did, you, mm -hmm. I had strong relationships with people. Um, right. But I think That's once right. you switch gears from being the HR guy supporting principals to the director coaching principals to the region uh, supervising, I think you start to see all facets of how people lead, right? And not just lead in the professional life, but honestly how their, their personal life works, because I think there's mm. got to be harmony there. You really have issues. Um, I, I would say, um, and I'm gonna, well, let's say generically, I would say meeting yes. people where they are uh -huh. and providing them the ability to grow. And if not, then having those harder conversations around like, okay, we've, we've tried this a couple times, now we're, let's try it this way. So mm -hmm. I think it's more of that coaching supervisory role, that balance 
Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say, honestly, looking back on the three years now and, and knowing the people before I even supervise them, I mm-hmm. would say it's probably meeting them where they are and providing them with the resources to grow. How about you? Just expanding because I think Bill hit, hit the, uh, you know, hit the nail on the on the uh, on the coffin when he talked about, uh, you know, just meeting people where they are. But I think that for me, uh, the business side of mm-hmm. education uh, is is what I see uh, as as being very different from a principal to a supervisor. Our job is to support, but but actually to hold accountable. Right, because mm-hmm. we are supporting our our superintendent. We're an extension of our superintendents, uh, and our job is to is to ensure that that students are growing in schools. Um, so you know, you are coaching, you're monitoring, you're supporting, but you're ultimately holding folks accountable, evaluating them um, in, evaluating mm-hmm. them out, um, and just making sure that you have, as Bill said, the hard conversations around around just performance. Well, what can I add on? Yeah, absolutely. Second? So it's interesting, right? When you're a teacher and you go to be an assistant principal, they want you to answer questions as if you're, you know, you're not in the classroom, you're, yeah. you're school-wide. I think a lot of times we make the assumption that principals know how systems work. And I was afforded that opportunity in HR, so I got to see those pieces. And Daryl's exactly right. Like the, the business side for them, they're trying to run their city. So it's mm. this constant balance of what they let in versus what they don't because they're protecting their stakeholders. But I, I would agree, it's, it's that global perspective that a lot of times you can't see when you're running a building. So, you know, one of the things that I, I've encountered personally in my professional life, but then also speaking uh, to professionals, both of you were, you were assistant principal in the building that you became a principal in. Yes. Were you the same way? Tell me about that because of the, of the peers that you had to now supervise, even the, your, uh, your other assistant principals. Yeah. Like, what, what was that like? I think for me, it was an advantage. Uh, I was put in positions where I was the lead assistant principal. Okay. Um, I was the administrative designee. Uh, and when I became principal, the senior assistant principal had no desire of being a principal. And he was very content with being a number two. Uh, and we had opposite strengths. Uh, I knew the staff very well. Mm-hmm. They trusted me. Um, and, and I was able to, to not only uh, keep things moving, but enhance things. So, you know, my experience uh, is, it was very positive of that. And, and that is, you know, sort of guided me as far as when I look for a potential principal, um, the first thing I do look at is, is there an assistant principal in the building that can be moved up? Uh, just because of the advantages uh, that that person may have. Okay. Right. Regarding just having a seamless transition. You started beginning of the year? I started in January. <laughs> okay. That was me too. Because so mine was sort of like that, except my my principal, who looking back now was a phenomenal mentor. I don't think I realized it at the time. She walked back and said, Hey, we're going to the board in an hour and I'm getting promoted and you're gonna be acting principal. She said, I don't think I'm gonna try to get two transition days and they told her report the next day. So I went from AP walk past my office to principal, right? And I think as an AP, wow. you're balancing the principal and the vision and the mission of the school, but you're kind of the, yes. the middleman. You're the glue. Yes, so that recalibration of relationships definitely happened. I agree on the administrative side. I had a, a, a gentleman that was phenomenal to work with, so that was not, he had no desire to be a principal. Um, but I think there was a recalibration. And I think, you know, I made one mistake then too, where I tried to sort of zero base our uh, rating process. and. Okay. It wasn't a good idea, you know what I mean. But but then I learned through that, and that then those relationships kind of had to change. But it was a, it was a good learning curve. 
Yeah, well, I was having a conversation with a previous superintendent. He was just saying that there was, there was so much that he thought he knew going into the superintendency that he realized wasn't even relevant to what being a superintendent was, the transition, and just kind of seeing things. So I see the what I hear from both of you, like the development of it, understanding it. But the key having talk about having good mentors, uh, even if you don't realize that their mentor is there. So now you're in, you're in the both of you in the position that you are now. Now you're thinking about how can we get how can we get schools better? How can we support students? So I know you have a, a path because of the history, but what what makes you say okay this might be a good partner for me to bring into my schools or into uh into to introduce you to your uh your principals like i am really curious what goes through at your level supervising principals that yeah you know something this is something that i want to introduce them to and that they can probably implement and you mean overall or consent overall like i mean consent can be one of them but yeah. we're just one of many so i have several partnerships that are external for my north county cluster and I, I think really it's me getting to know the people that run the organization finding out if the support mechanisms are really in place for the principal and for the admin team is it going to be a benefit ultimately for the kids right and, and what does it look like and then the key part and even when we partnered up is setting down and developing a relationship and understanding that this is running through me Yes. with you guys and in turn that means my principals have yes it's an external partnership but we run it like it's an internal partnership and we can't do that with all organizations right yours is a little bit different some don't have the ability size wise mm -hmm. and then others maybe don't have the experience in schools mm -hmm. and understand some of the mechanics that occur they just want to come in and read books to kids mm -hmm. that's fine but then there's this other piece that where kids really need this level of support that we're giving them through the partnership of concentric well, I what do you make that? yeah I, I, evidence of success mm -hmm. um We've known each other, as you said, for 10 years. I was a, I was a principal in Prince George's County when I first met uh, you and, yeah. and worked with Concentric. And then uh, I worked with you in Baltimore City. Yes. Um, so we had success in Prince George's County with, with kids coming to school. We had success in the five schools that, that we had a partnership with uh, in, in having kids come to school and improving academic performance. So, you know, in the, in the system that I'm currently in, uh, that sort of just makes a natural you know, uh, transition to, to me wanting and me advocating for, for a partner. Uh, just success that I've had or success that I've seen that, from other people that they've experienced with the, with the partner. No, I, I'm saying you, because I say, I've said it privately, I've said it publicly. When I say privately in meetings and when I'm with other districts. What do you want to say? You know, <laughs> look, you have helped me over 14 years develop my model by constantly asking the tough questions. How can we get better? Go, go slow before you go fast. Develop the, the key metrics, the evidence of success. Uh, it's not just home visits. It's, it's, not, it's, not, uh, it's not compartmentalized like that. So I definitely wanna say thank you for over the years where you're pushing and it's partners don't get better, vendors don't get better without those constant conversations other than pointing the finger and saying it's not going right uh, your your organization is not working. So thank you for like those constant conversations and questions about how to get better. Like I really need to say that because you have made that model, that, that early model on, that C9 model has been the model that I've taken now where 
I mean, that is the model, right? So you have really shaped it. So thank you so much for that. Well, our partnership really goes back to him. Right? Yeah. I mean, yes. he was late to that meeting, but I'd already known and there's yes. a super high level of trust between us. Yes. Yeah, well, I mean, you, you were busy doing something, I'm sure, right? But there's a high level of trust that goes back yes. to earlier, right? And I know in the work, we do a lot together. It's not the same work, but it's all about kids, right? So when he said, hey, I've got this partnership, would you like to be involved in it? Without hesitation. Let's do it. So, so the one, you know, the last thing I want to touch on and give you, uh, let me get you all perspective. Coming out of the pandemic, right? I'm not even sure how much, how far we are out of the pandemic. What has been the biggest challenge that, that you've seen from the school side to the student or community side, or even to the teacher side? Because on, on our end, even shaping the minds of changing the mindset of employees has, is, has been really difficult. So I'll say, you know, I love to still meet in person and, you know, we've gone very virtual like, and trying to break that. So what are some of the things that you've the biggest challenges coming out of the uh, pandemic that you faced, Bill? So I, I would say if you go early out of the pandemic, right, yes. teachers had gone on this bell schedule for years and all of a sudden now they're home teaching and now we push them back into a school. Right. So at home, there's a little bit of flexibility. You got 10 minutes or whatever. That's yeah. the teacher piece. I think also there's a level of top-down structure that had to occur in virtual. And so coming back in, now you have a little more autonomy and that's hard. So I think there's a little bit of maybe um, resistance to giving control chaos back to the classroom. Uh -huh. But the number one to me is attendance. I mean, I, I think schools have become, you know, three, four, five on level of importance with families. And that is really hard because we know the research shows first grade is the year. We know that if kids have a pattern of attendance issues, it's going to continue. So trying to solve that, not just countywide, but nationally, yes. has really probably been the biggest issue for us. And then the gap years for the kids clearly exist, but that's us trying to backfill in certain ways structurally. Yeah. Quantitatively, attendance hands now mm -hmm. is, is wow. the biggest issue, right? So I, I agree 100% with what Bill said. Uh, just in a qualitative measure, just more, it's just the, the engagement part, right? Connections between students and students, connections mm -hmm. between students and staff, connections between staff and staff. Um, I think that in addition to the pandemic, our, our, our current reality of the world, mm. right, putting those two together um, has impacted schools. And part of what I see as a tremendous challenge is how to build that back up um, and, and how do we continue to, uh, to while we educate kids and students, make sure that we get along with each other, right? Our superintendent has the saying, belong, grow, and succeed, right? So, mm. you know, that's where we have to make sure that we're looking at too, making sure that everyone feels like they belong, yeah. right? So that we can grow and then succeed. Shout out to Dr. Bedell for superintendent of the year for NAPSI. Uh, other than being an alpha, he's an uh, amazing man. Uh, but shout out to you, uh, congratulations, uh, Mark, uh, on, a, on, on the recognition. You know, so, uh, you know I do want, I want to applaud both of you. Um, we have changed, like at Concentric, like we've always, I always say, and really push that on one is home visits. And home visits alone do not solve chronic absenteeism, right? Like we're, I'm having this conversation with educators now saying, well, just knock on the door. Knock on the door is one piece of a larger strategy. So I, you know, I really want to thank both of you for being courageous leaders, seeing outside the box giving the support to the principals, holding the principals accountable, holding us accountable for supporting students differently than what we, what we used to. And I mean, it doesn't happen on this level without the support happening there. You know, going forward, what would you, 
what would you uh, suggest to people, uh, to whether a principal, an aspiring principal, aspiring principal leader, something that they, that they should take away as they, they want to move into those positions? I think the first thing is your desire, right? Like, do, do you want to be a principal? Do you want to be an assistant principal? Bill said it earlier, um, being a principal today is different than being a principal when I was a principal even 10 years ago. And, you know, the, the issues that you're dealing with, not only are you charged with building students' performance, right, but it's also that social-emotional aspect. Then you're dealing with the community, right? Then you're dealing with your parents. So, like, it is truly, you know, you want that work-life balance, but it is a 24-7 job. And ensuring that you want to do that is half of it, right? You can't, you can't do the job nowadays if it's, just, if, if it's just for a paycheck. It's not going to work long-term. So this is a big thing for me because in HR for five years, I really focused on developing people to be sort of administrators, and it's something I enjoy. I think Daryl's spot on. I also think when you come to the table, we expect you to speak globally. We'll talk about what you've done globally, right? So as a teacher now... You have massive impact. You could do an after-school program. You could partner with someone in your organization within the school. Do something that shows data that you moved kids. And it can be small with the goal of upscaling in your own building. But I think you have to show out-of-the-box ideas, you know, high level of engagement, not compliance, but engagement with kids, and some reward structure for them that allows those relationships to be fostered outside of the school because so much of this is contextual learning for kids that aren't able to get that in the environment. But for me, it would be show me, show me what you've done and why you did it, because it really should always be about moving kids forward. Well, and I think to, uh, to both of your points is that because we're in poor ballpark in the same well, no, I'm in the same generation, is that I don't know if I could have been, I don't know if I could be a principal in 2023 compared to, I, I just don't, I don't know. Even if I had the desire, I mean, there's so many there's so many different things that you have to take in consideration. I think it's where it's magnified, and I'm, I'm speaking primarily like like social media. Uh, I'm thinking about when I was a teacher, um, and I was going through my master's program, and this is when they had the video carts like, that you had to sign out with your department head, and I showed like a video for four straight days because I was writing my comps with no prompts, mm -hmm. right? Like with no no uh, worksheets. Mm -hmm. Like that would have probably been on social media today. Right. Like I think there's just a high level of scrutiny with educators today um, and so many different things to your point there about social emotional learning that our children have to kind of bring in. The pandemic has certainly right opened the eyes for parents. Right. Mm -hmm. that, that's one of the things that happened. Right. We we you know, the curtain was sort of uh, raised and, uh -huh. and parents were able to see a lot of what was happening in schools. And I think that's a positive thing. You know, because it does step up everyone's game and, um, you know, parental involvement, parental uh, communication, I, I think is a positive thing. And if you are a principal or if you're an educator, you want that within reason. Right. You want you want to make sure that it, it, it's 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 uh, you know, very, very competent. But I think that that's something that's a positive thing to your point. Yeah, and our superintendent models it, right? So we, when he first got here, he did listening and learning tours all across the county. And he wanted to hear what people had to say. So to me, piggybacking off what Daryl said, the opportunity f as for my schools is to now engage parents differently, right? Mm -hmm. Parents don't understand, or does nobody ever ask you what, what you got in your MCAP score in 10th grade, right? But what is the importance of building those foundational literacy and numeracy skills at a young age? And why is it important to be in school? And I think through the partnership is one thing, but then 
you know, educating parents differently around why we need you to be a part of this process. And that goes back to opening their eyes because I think they see a whole other level of complexity that they probably didn't only assume was happening in the classroom at home. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, our time is up. I want to thank both of you so much, Dow and Bill, um, the partnership. But thank you for Iron Sharpens Iron and just helping us to get better so that we can support uh, children. So if I could say this, I, I want to thank you too, right? Because I know that, you know, Bill and I appreciate the work that you've done, right? Mm -hmm. So so your work that you and your company have done uh, across the the DMV and, and beyond, mm -hmm. right, can't be understated, right? Because you've literally saved lives yourself. And I think that that's something that I hope your viewers know, right, that I know and other people know too. So that's something that you all should be proud of yourself. Thank you. And I didn't, I didn't pay for that plug, so I, I appreciate it so much. You know I mean that from the bottom. No, I know, I know, no, I appreciate it. No, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I want to thank all of you for joining us for another episode, One Door at a Time. As always, you can catch us at all of our social media content at concentric.world. Uh, shout out, because I don't do it enough, or I, I don't think I've ever done it. That, uh, shout out to our producer, Rock, uh, always behind the scenes. Uh, Y'all didn't know it, but uh, I, I was supposed to be scheduled to tape, and he was here, and he probably had a 180-degree fever and went to the hospital the next day, but he was trying to get the podcast in. Shout out to you, Rock. Thank you for always pushing, always being available, and always to the Atlas Group. Can't give you enough shout outs. Join us next time for One, uh, one Door at a Time. See you next episode.